Tonight we'll be reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2, all the way to the end of the chapter. Uh, So that should be page 955 on the Pew Bibles. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you, Nick. Some cracker names in there, mate. You've done well. We're going to explore this passage together. Please do have God's word open in front of you. Uh, this does bring us to an end of the Colossians series. And so let's, let's pray to God that he continues to do his work in and through us as we come before it together. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word written by humans but inspired by your spirit and so in this moment god as we seek to understand and unpack it as i preach may my words be yours and holy spirit we ask that you're at work amongst your people here and across the screen form us into likeness of jesus and send us out as you're calling us and we ask this in jesus name amen so as i've said a couple of times we've come to a close in our colossians series captivated by christ Uh, In my preparation for this, and as the letter goes, in many ways it feels a bit like when you watch one of those kind of inspirational documentaries, and you go through a couple of series and you're inspired, and you know, this is, it's good for the soul in some way, shape or form. Then you get to the last episode, and it's nothing new, and it just sends you out, it really inspires you to do something with what it is that you've heard. That's very much what goes on here at the end of Colossians. The letter stops, but it doesn't actually stop. It sends. And so that's our trajectory that we're going to do tonight. In the first uh, three chapters of Colossians, to kind of catch you up or remind you, or if you haven't been here, Paul has been very much saying like how great Christ is. Christ is supreme and awesome above all things. And so you're transformed in him, so stand firm. Resist the cultural pressures to conform to the ways of the world and the deceptive and hollow philosophies which are pulling you away. Stand firm in Christ and then live the way of Christ. That's kind of what's been happening in a nutshell so far. 
It's been an internal focus. But now Paul casts his eye out and says, okay, let's look outward. It turns to a very outward focus. And he says, basically, because you've been captivated by Christ, go and share Christ with the world. And so that's our trajectory today. We're going to explore what it looks like for us as a church, individually, sure, but also as a church, what it looks like for us to be captivated by him, but then go out beyond our walls. Go beyond our walls into the community or the families that we're in uh, and share Jesus. And then what it looks like for us to stand together and to stand firm as we go about that. So with that in mind, have a look at the passage. Uh, at the beginning, you can, or as you look over it as a whole, you can see it's very much in two parts. But as you look at the, the subheadings in the NIV, they're incredibly unhelpful. 99 times out of 100, they're, they're very helpful. But this one, further instructions... It's really not doing much for us. But actually, it's a very singular focus that Paul is going on about. He's talking about the work of sharing Christ. Now, with that in mind, the work of sharing Christ, it is a little bit strange how he begins. His focus is prayer. Pray. Then pray again. And pray some more. And so when it comes to us as we think about it, what it looks like to share Christ with the world... Prayer is coming front and center to this. Have a look, verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's not just a statement, not a nice idea. It's an imperative, it's a command, it's like a call to do something. Now, what does it mean to be devoted? Us Christians, we've kind of hijacked the devotion word to mean like our quiet time in the morning or something like that. But when you're devoted to something, it means that you're loyal. You're steadfast. Uh, you're focused. Now, when it comes to prayer, all of us in some way, shape, or form, we like the idea of prayer. And perhaps we believe in prayer. We truly do. But to actually be devoted to prayer is really hard. It is hard to be devoted to prayer. It very much takes being intentional. One author, he put it this way. He said, if you want to spend time with God in prayer, then we must decide to do so. It doesn't come effortlessly and will entail forgoing other things that we might enjoy. Ultimately for our good, for sure. But it might entail something, uh, forgoing something we might enjoy. And this kind of devotion to prayer, it's not necessarily about intensity. So like, I've got to go, go pray, pray, pray. There's an element to that, but more in focus is being regular. The regularity of prayer. Littered throughout the New Testament is this call to constantly be in prayer, to persevere in prayer. I heard an Oscar speech by Denzel Washington. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, a couple of years ago. And he was inspiring people to keep firm on their convictions. And he had this fairly motivational speech. And he said within it, Without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. Without commitment, you will never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. And I found that really helpful when thinking about my walk, our walk with Jesus. And when it comes to being devoted to prayer, it's, it's quite helpful. Because being devoted to prayer is about commitment and then consistency. Now, friends, of course, we're going to fail at that at times. Of course we will. But don't let failure stop you. To steal another quote from a song, the irony of fear of failure is the fear to start. Start. 
Or if you're already doing it, keep going. It's okay. Fail seven times, get up eight. And for us as the people of God, fall into the arms of the grace of our God. Fall into his arms. He loves us, he cares for us, he wants what's best. He will help us along the way. The call is to be devoted to prayer. Paul follows the command with, to be watchful and thankful. Now, I think the best way for us to understand this is when we pray, expect God to hear you. And we expect God to hear you. We expect him to do something with it. We expect him to act. We watch for it. Now, it might not mean he do what, does what we ask exactly because his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. So he will do something with our prayer and we watch to see what it is he'll do with it. And then, of course, because his plan is good, pleasing, and perfect, we're thankful. We're thankful for whatever the outcome may be. And as we pray and we conform ourselves more into the image of Jesus, more into the will of God, we'll become more and more thankful. So I think that's what Paul is talking about here with what it means to be watchful and thankful. And then Paul gets quite specific. In verse 3 and 4, he talks about how he wants the Colossians to partner with him in prayer. He says, pray for him and the people with him, even though they're quite far off. Verse 3, it says, and pray for us. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now picture Paul here. He's literally in jail. Literally chained. The door is literally closed. He's not actually asking to be released from jail. When he says he wants an open door, he's asking for an opportunity. You can kind of imagine him or feel him as he's dictating this or writing this down he's sitting in his chains and thinking man i've seen god do this before he's opened up an opportunity for me to share the gospel even in chains he's done it for me he's done it for peter so colossians call out in prayer to our god ask the all-powerful intervening god to bring us an opportunity an opportunity to share about the gospel of jesus and he asks when that happens that he's then clear clear about sharing Now, when you think about Paul, that's actually a strange thing for him to say. Now, he's written the majority of the New Testament. Our understanding of the gospel has come in a big part from his letters. He's very clear on what the gospel is about. So what he's saying is that although it's clear to him, he wants to present it in a way which is clear to others. It'll make sense to them so that they too may come to Jesus. It's like if you love something like the theatre. Anyone love the theatre? Here, a couple. Yes, I'm enjoying those hands. Who love the theatre? I don't love the theatre, but (laughs) glad that you do. Um, And imagine you were trying to get someone to come to the theatre with you. Um, Say you wanted to get me to come to the theatre. You might say something along the lines of, hey, Matt, you know when you watch football and it's the beautiful game and it's got entertainment and it's got emotion, you ride the highs and the lows, your favourite player does this and that, you don't know what's going to happen... The team wins, that euphoria that you feel. That's like going to the theatre. Now, I might say, sure, I don't believe you, rubbish. But I'm compelled by that. That makes sense to me. It's meaningful to me. And Paul is saying, I know the gospel, it's captivated me, but I want to share it in a way that's meaningful to others. And so he asks, ask, he asks the Colossians to pray to God so that he, God will do that through him. 
So as this comes to us, this is a very strong, it's a call to prayer. As much as it was to the Colossians, it's the same for us. Very directly, verses 3 and 4 can be applied, especially to our gospel workers, whether they're local or across the globe. Think of people like Emily or Ado and Claire, Ben, Ali, Jasmine, Tim, Val, people that work in our schools around the place. Like whoever it is that's on your fridge or on your corkboard or stuck on your wall or a picture on your phone, whatever it may be, we can pray that God will give them an opportunity. You want to know exactly what to pray for them? One thing you can pray is literally verses 3 and 4. Pray that over our sisters and brothers overseas who are serving the Lord and people in his name. But then more holistically, when we're thinking about prayer, and we think about how we're called to stand firm but then share Christ with others, this passage calls us to have a vibrant, but actually just a very routine prayer life, to be routine in prayer, to consistently come before God, to come before him in the authority and the name of Jesus and ask him to intervene. When we pray, we're calling on God literally to bend the ark of the universe in some way for his good purposes to come about. And so if the command here is to pray, to be devoted to prayer, what what could that look like? What could that look like for you in your actual day-to-day living, to be devoted in prayer? There's plenty of helpful examples, uh, models of prayer. My suggestion is, try one. Give one a go. It could be... Get up early in the morning, first thing you do, around the first thing you do, to, to pray. Could be set aside some time in the evening. Could be set aside some reminders on your phone. You may appreciate apps. I've just started an app called The Inner Room. It's an awesome app for helping the routine of prayer. The Inner Room, look it up on whatever kind of app store you subscribe to. You could start a prayer journal. Pick up that devotional book that's on your shelf or buy one, whatever it may be. I've been encouraged recently, I was reading a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, awesome book, and he was talking about how Jesus and the disciples had a consistent model of prayer, following in their Jewish heritage, but morning, midday, and evening prayers. Routine can be exceptionally helpful in what it looks like for us to engage with God. I also have recently found walking, walking and prayer, and I've started to do it more in the midday, to be helpful. I'm less distracted, can engage with God. Friends, there is no rules about prayer in that regard. There's no rules in the style and the manner that you do it. You come before God in Jesus' name. Do it in a way that works for you. What matters is that we devote ourselves to prayer. That's what's important. And that we watch God. We watch to see what he does. We're expectant that he will do something. He'll be good and pleasing and perfect. And then we're thankful for what he's doing in the world and then in and through us. And as the passage continues, Paul, he's encouraged the Colossians, he's encouraged the Colossians to pray for him to have an opportunity. He now says to the Colossians, okay, Colossians, you have an opportunity. Make the most of the opportunity that is before you. Uh, It's like, Colossians, you're amongst people all the time. In all the influences and parts of your life, make the most of those opportunities. And the call is to be wise. Be wise in our witness, wise in the way that we act. He specifically says, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Basically, someone who isn't a Christian. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you'll know how to answer everyone. And when it comes to wisdom, 
God is the ultimate authority being originator of wisdom, the author of wisdom. When it comes to the practice of wisdom, one definition I find found quite helpful is wisdom is knowing what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Wisdom is about knowing what, how, and when. All those, thing, all those things at play. Because when we share Jesus, of course we've got to be truthful. Truthful in the gospel and what's been shared for us in the Bible, instead with the Holy Spirit. And that will also mean that we need to be sensitive to the circumstances, sensitive to the, the people and situations and concerns around us. Now, when it comes to the what, Paul's already established that in Colossians so far. You want to go back to chapter 1, he really details there about being reconciled to Christ, Christ being uh, the author of salvation. When it comes to the when, the when is at every opportunity. That's the when. That means when an opportunity arises, be ready, be intentional, search for those opportunities. At times, yeah, manufacture it, but don't force it. Don't shove it down people's throat. That's not making the most of the opportunity. Look for the opportunity to be ready and act. And then the how. The how of sharing Jesus. Paul says here to be, have gracious and salty conversation. Gracious conversation seasoned with salt. Now, gracious in the sense that we model the way of Jesus, the character of Jesus. He was gracious in the way that he acted. Because we know at times, even our own life, people listen with their eyes sometimes a lot more than with their ears. People watch how we act. People are concerned because we are concerned. We're concerned with how people act towards us. And so it's very important that our lifestyle is, is gracious. So be kind, gentle, empathetic, gracious in how we act and speak. The second aspect is that our conversation is to be salty. Conversation that's seasoned with salt. Now in Jewish thought, that's an idiom for keep it interesting. Keep it interesting. Attractive. At times, provocative. For myself, I summarize it as it make it meaningful. Make it meaningful for whoever it is that you're talking to. Like what I was sharing before about the illustration about going to the theater. Do it in a way that makes sense to those that you're talking to. This is exactly how Jesus went about his mission. When he was walking the earth, when he was chatting with people, he was wise, he made the most of every opportunity, having conversation. He ate with the tax collector and the sinner. Then he'd, eat with, he'd go engage with the social outcast and the sick. Then he'd go engage with the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees, all stratas and people, genders across society. He would engage with them in wise ways. And at times, it was attractive, and at times it was provocative, and yet always truthful. So friends, as we engage with the people of our community, we engage our world with the wise and winsome words and ways of Jesus. The wise and the winsome words and ways of Jesus. Now this clearly takes the spirit to be at work within us, and that's definitely got to be the case, requires prayer. And for us, it also requires us being thoughtful and being prepared. When we go about really anything, we generally go and be prepared for it. So it's a uni assignment that you do. You prepare for the assignment. If it's something at work, you prepare for it. When some kind of thing that you're doing that has a goal towards it, you prepare. And that goes to the same when it comes to sharing our faith 
in the world. So in your home groups, chat about what that looks like specifically. This is the command, this is the principle, be wise, gracious, season with soul. Chat about what it looks like really specifically to engage in conversation with people in these wise and winsome ways. Encourage each other to, to partner with God in his work in the world. Now, I recognize that so much of that is far more easier said than done. I know that. I feel it with you. And so I came across this quote this week from a, a Christian leader in the U.S. named Ed Stetzer. And he said, most Christians can fail to share Christ regularly for one of two reasons. Either we fear being ostracized for speaking up about Jesus, being stigmatized like that guy, or feel helpless and are afraid to share because we feel like we might fail. I know I fit into those categories at some, at some points, for sure. But if we follow the, the way of this passage, we follow in the way of Jesus, in the strength that the Spirit gives us, these principles of wisdom here, the Spirit will work in us such that we can overcome that. And I love the way that Mike Frost, um, he speaks about evangelism. I heard this in a podcast and, and I recorded it, and I think it really helpfully articulates what's going on here in Colossians. He says, evangelism is usually a conversation. It's not usually some big event or occasion or peculiar thing that happens and now means, oh, now I get to talk about Jesus. Rather, it's usually talking in a natural, winsome, conversational way about how I make sense of my world through the lens of the gospel. How I make sense of my world through the lens of the gospel. Friends, we can do that. You can do that. The Spirit can work in and through us. Of course, it partners along with the events that we do, like the Better Than Chocolate and the men's events and all these kind of things, youth ministry, these events that happen, but it's the conversations that go in and on and around those things. And so, friends, we are called to be intentional in doing that. To just give a couple examples, you can think about what it looks like in your own life, to give a couple particular ones. Say you've got someone coming over to your house for dinner, you're going to meet them for dinner, whatever it may be. Get with whoever is in your home, your maid, your family, your spouse, if you have children, whatever it may be. And you can simply pray Colossians 4, 5, and 6 over yourselves and pray for whoever it is is coming to your home. Just do it for a minute. In the rush of getting together or whatever it may be, you can pray that over one another. As you meet up with a mate for, for coffee or in a social art class or whatever it may be, Think about what is it that's meaningful to this person? What is it that we've chatted about? How does that relate to the gospel? And be prepared. Be prayerful and looking for those opportunities. Always loving the person. They're not projects, they're people. And a really helpful book, which we promoted last year and um, is one that is, is great for the practicalities with great theological depth, is How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. A great book. I'd encourage you to read it. We have copies. Well, Angie and I, David, have copies of it if you'd like to lend one. I'd really encourage you to pick one up. And it's a great practical book of what it looks like to share Jesus with our culture uh, today in practical ways. The other essential practice to do is pray. It's prayer. Now, it's not news if you've been a Christian for a while that it is helpful to write down the names Write down names of people who don't know Jesus and pray for them. Literally, write them down. Come to it. Pick up the name that you wrote down a couple of months ago, a year ago, whatever it may be. And as you pray for them, 
your heart for them will grow as Christ's heart, to be in line with Christ's heart for them. We'll also be engaged. If you're praying for them, you'll be ready, longing, hoping for the opportunities to share Christ with them and to love them at Jesus. Love them as Jesus would. I heard a story about um, a man named Dior Moody. He was a Christian preacher from the 1800s. And he had a notebook. And in the notebook, he wrote down 100 names of people that he knew that weren't Christian. 100. By the time he died, 96 out of that 100 had come to faith. That's, that's amazing. I, I haven't heard of a story similar to that. That's amazing. 96. Then in his funeral, the four people left came to his funeral and independently came to Christ. That's, that's amazing. But that's not amazing because Dio Moody is amazing. It's because God is amazing. Friends, prayer works. Prayer works because it's God's work. It's God's power at work. We're calling on him to do a work in the world and then he's doing it. And we thank him, we watch, we're thankful. This is the God that we pray to. We're talking about a spiritual work that goes on with people, so we need to pray. And that consistency uh, in prayer is going to be super valuable in that endeavor. Of course, things might not happen exactly how we desire or hope or plan. But God asks us, partner with him. Partner with him in this mission to the world. And a central aspect to that is to pray. Now, sometimes, of course, that can feel like an inspiring but yet quite daunting task. When, you, when we think about Colossians as a whole, stand firm in Jesus. There's a world that passively and sometimes actively is pulling us away from Christ, whatever it may be. It can be daunting to then think, okay, now I've got to go share him. That can feel isolating. And I imagine that that's exactly how the Colossians felt. They're a young church. They're new to the faith. And so Paul, he ends his letter, not so much with the words, let me encourage you to keep going, but he gives this long list of greetings, basically a bunch of hellos from people that know the Colossians to them. The message is you're not alone. Verses 7 to 18 is all about the fellow workers in Christ. Now, there's a very pragmatic thing that goes on in the back of this letter because he's like, you know, Titicus and Onesimus are coming and there's some very personal things that are going on. But as a general rule, we can sense and feel that the Colossians are like, man, we're not alone in this. And we get a glimpse, a glimpse of what it looks like for the church to be this diverse yet unified group of people. To just draw out a couple of things, verse 7 to 9 is all about this guy Titicus and Onesimus. These men literally carry the letter from Paul, literally carry it to the Colossians. Their mission is to encourage it's very much a build up the Colossians kind of mission and the letter is part of that. But Titicus, he's a companion of Paul. He's probably a Greek man. He grew up in the area around Colossae. So Paul calls him a dear brother, faithful minister and fellow servant. He and Paul, they're on the same level in that regard. Then we have Onesimus. Now we don't hear anything about Onesimus in Colossians, but he's also holding a letter. He's holding the letter to Philemon, the one we read about a couple pages back in your Bible. And what we read in that letter is Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. He escaped, he ran away, he found Paul, came to Christ, and now Paul is sending him back to Philemon, but not as a slave, but as a dear brother. 
And with that in mind, I love how Paul talks about Onesimus in comparison to Tychicus. Paul says of Onesimus, he's he's a faithful and dear brother. But unlike the free Tychicus, he leaves out the servant bit. He leaves out the servant bit when it comes to talking about Onesimus. And that's not because Onesimus is any less. But Paul is like, there is to be no hint. There is to be no hint that Onesimus is your slave. He is a brother in the Lord. And I love that kind of social equality that happens and reigns in the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful picture of Colossians 3.11. No, no more slave or free, all one in Christ. Then we get a whole bunch of greetings from verses 10 through to 14. A whole bunch of people, they're far off. They're not coming, but they know the Colossians. And so they say a whole bunch of hellos. Aristarchus, Mark, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas. In other words, they're like saying, hey, Colossians, we see you. We hear you. We remember you. We're with you, even though we're far off physically. We're with you in spirit. And these people, the Jews, they're Greeks, they're Romans, they represent all that is in that society at the time. It's a beautiful picture of a, of a diverse yet unified church. Of particular note, though, is Epaphras. I want to read this verse here, which is verse 12. Epaphras, he's the one from chapter 1 who has planted the church, but he's no longer with them. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. Epaphras is working in prayer. He's literally working in prayer. He's captured the vision of God's kingdom coming in that part of the world. And about those people standing firm in Christ and sharing Christ in the world. And this is a picture of a man devoted to prayer, wrestling. It's almost like you can imagine a poor guy, man, where's that Epaphras guy? Where is he? Oh, he's praying again for the Colossians. That's the image that is going on. He's wrestling in prayer. And friends, I know for us, sometimes prayer can feel like the most unproductive thing that we do. It can feel like, what was the point of that? Nothing seemed to happen. But friends, sometimes when we pray, in fact, always when we pray, God hears. God is at work. It may be the most necessary and effective thing we do all day. At some times, our prayer is about our communion with God. Other times, it's about the work of the kingdom. And so we work, we labor in prayer. There is no such thing as wasting time in prayer. And then we get to verses 15 through to 18. Paul makes some comments about himself. Uh, They're they're varied. We won't go into the details. We've got Paul's picture already. He loves the Colossians. He wants them to continue and for the churches around the place. But throughout all these greetings, we get a strong sense that from the Colossians' perspective, they're thinking, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this walk with Jesus, in this walk as a Christian. They hear We're in it together. So stand firm. Keep wisely sharing the gospel. Friends, there's moments in our life where we feel so alone in our walk. Maybe you sit in this room next to another 150-odd people and you feel so alone in your walk. I hope not, but maybe that's how you feel. And there's seasons in our life that that'll be the case. But when someone says to you, I see you, 
I'm praying for you. I'm with you. That can be one of the most motivational and uplifting, encouraging things that we can do for one another. So friends, keep standing with one another. Encourage each other. Think about who our fellow workers are. If we were to write a list, who would they be? Who are the people that are far off? Mentioned a couple of them before. Those who are far away, our fellow workers. Then those who are just around the corner. Whether it's a church down the road, Mortdale Oatley Baps, or George's River Life, or Riverwood Anglican, or Irwood Baps, or Menai Baps, whatever it may be. And then there's our fellow workers who are in the room. Literally, here, in the room. Those who have been in the room four hours ago in the Mandarin service. Seven hours before that, nine hours before that, and 11 and the 9 a.m. service. We continue to encourage one another to stand firm in Christ, to keep wisely sharing the gospel. And with that, the letter to Colossians ends. But it doesn't end, it sends. When we're captivated by Christ, we stand firm in him, and then we share him with the world. And as we've seen directly in this passage, we prayerfully and wisely engage in the opportunities we have to share Jesus with the world. But we don't do it alone. We do it together. So let me pray that we are that kind of people that God has called us to be. Father, we are so thankful for you. You allow us to partner with you, and that is only possible because Jesus went to the cross. That he came to this earth, we humbled himself, died and rose again in our place, lived the perfect life. Father, we thank you that we can be in your family, transformed in him. And thank you that we're not alone. We're given your spirit and we're given one another. We pray that you help us to be wise, to make the most of whatever opportunity you've given us, whatever sphere of influence we're a part in, working us by your spirit to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May you get all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.